Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sit and Friends in the Morning. How many of us have them? 77 WABC. Well, John. Coming up next, we have somebody who's been all over the news, really, for the last, like, 30 years, but certainly the last... What 30 years? 50 years. 50 years. Okay. Well, you know, I'm trying to, you know, be a little easy on his age over there right He's here. Not I know he goes, yet. You know, he goes way back with, with my father, but uh, now on the line we have Alan Dershowitz, who has a book called Get Trump that is out, and uh, Professor Dershowitz... It really seems like they are doing everything in my home borough of Manhattan to do exactly that, get Donald Trump. Well, that's the strategy. That's been the strategy now for quite some time. Uh, The idea that a district attorney and an attorney general would run on a platform of getting somebody and then rummage through the statute books to see if they can get him. Look, you know, your dad and I go back to the early 1970s. We were fighting ferociously. I was a defense attorney. He was a great prosecutor. He helped prosecute the Jewish Defense League. He helped prosecute Eddie Rosner. I was on the defense side constantly, but he always played fair. Mm -hmm. He never targeted anybody. The crimes were there, he thought. I thought maybe they weren't. Mm -hmm. We argued. I won some. He won some. But the, the idea of a prosecutor... Running on a platform of I'm going to get this guy, whether he committed crimes or not, and then looking through the statute books and finding no crimes, nothing, and then making up a misdemeanor, stapling it to a made up felony and creating 34 salami slices out of one alleged or a couple of alleged uh, 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 hush payments. It's just something the Bar Association ought to prohibit it should to be it should be unethical robert jackson the greatest attorney general in american history thought it was unethical uh, many 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 people have thought it was unethical and it is you know what one of the things that you've said and i've seen you say it recently is that there's no chance that trump would get acquitted yeah. in manhattan because the judge and jurors won't have the courage so what is the chance you think that this would get moved to staten island or a Any different part decent- of the state Any decent judge looking at this will say the appearance of injustice being prosecuted by a DA in a district where the jurors in the case, many of them will have voted for the DA who had the platform of get Trump, is so obvious that if this is a strong case, a Staten Island jury will convict, uh, a Long Island Mm -hmm. jury will convict, a Rockland County jury will convict. A jury upstate will convict. Why are we so locked into Manhattan? For a very obvious reason. The last thing Bragg wants is a fair trial. Right. He wants to get Trump. You know, my book, it's a great title, Get Trump. I wish I had been smart enough to create it. I wasn't. I borrowed it from Letitia James <laughs> and from, uh, from Bragg. They invented it, Get Trump. That's their philosophy. That's what they ran on. And if they don't get Trump, they won't win re-election. That's not what prosecutors are supposed to do. 
So I agree with you here, but what? Uh, how does the process work where you could get this moved from Manhattan, let's say, to Richmond County or to Rockland County or to Hamilton County, another county? How's the process, and, and what do you think the chance that that will actually happen is? Well, what I don't know is the strategy that the lawyers are employing. Uh, having this case put off until December, I've never seen anything like that. Uh, if I were a defense lawyer, I'd be moving for a change of venue the day after tomorrow. I'd be organizing polls. I'd be getting expert witnesses, and I'd be making the claim. I do not believe this judge has the courage to be the guy to walk around New York City, to walk into his clubs, to walk into his favorite restaurants, and have fingers pointed at him saying, that's the judge that freed Trump. Oh, my God. Look what happened to me when I even defended him. I didn't free him. I defended him. People on Martha's Vineyard stopped talking to me. Friends and relatives in Manhattan stopped talking to me. I became Adolf Hitler's enabler, according to one person on Martha's Vineyard. Larry David, my old friend, starts screaming at me. I can't talk to you. You're disgusting. You're despicable. Do you think any judge wants to face that? Remember, you know, I'm a legal realist. I went to Yale Law School. Legal realists have taught that judges are ordinary people. Robes don't change them. They are influenced by the milieu around them, by the psychology, by family members. Uh, And, you know, here's a judge who has some connections to Democratic politics. I don't think his 15-buck contribution or his $30 contribution alone is enough to recuse him. But when you look at the totality of the circumstances, if I'm that judge, I say to myself, you know, I'm fungible. Why take a chance of there being a motion down the line to, to have me recused, I'm going to get myself off the case and, and turn it over to the chief judge and ask him to put it in the wheel. That would be the smart thing to do, especially since he had already presided over a previous Trump case. And this is not – a if it's a related case, then he really shouldn't be on it because he's already made up his judgment. And if it's not a related case, it should have been put back in the wheel. So I don't like the, the, the appearance that exists when this judge is essentially handpicked uh, by the prosecutors uh, who is who are the ones who, I think, who called it a related case. So I, it should have gone to the wheel, and it should still go to the wheel, but it shouldn't be a judge in Manhattan. It should be and, a judge in and shouldn't the judge uh, make certain disclosures? I, see, I'm not a lawyer. I, I, you know, I'm a college dropout. So uh, and <laughs> shouldn't the judge make certain disclosures that, that the fact that his daughter works for for, uh, I think, Michelle Obama or Barack Obama? I forget. Well, there should be full disclosure, and the defense should make a motion. They shouldn't even have to make a motion. The judge should issue a statement saying, look, there's been all kinds of speculation. People want to know, did I support Bragg when he ran? Let me tell you, I did or I didn't. Did I support this? Did I, you know, have I spoken to people in favor of Bragg? Have I ever made any statements about Trump? Um, uh, have I expressed hatred toward Trump? Uh, did I talk to my family about Trump during that previous case? He should make all those disclosures. Judges, you know, everybody says nobody's, nobody is uh, above the law. Judges are supposed to have a special obligation to make sure they lean over backwards. So not only not to do injustice, but not to appear to be doing injustice. And I think more can be done to assure the American public and the world. Remember, too, this is a world case. The president of El Salvador lectured us the other day. He said, oh, my God, you're going after a candidate for president? 
and you're <laughs> lecturing us on democracy in that. Central America, you have lost your standing wow. to tell us in Central America and South America how to conduct our government. Professor, so this is a yes. international implications. Yeah. Uh, professor, you were a professor for 50 years at Harvard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What happened to ethics? Well, I taught it. For, I, I taught it for thirty-five years, and it was a very popular uh, course. I don't know what's happened to ethics. What's happened to law students? Let me tell you what's happened. I couldn't speak today at Stanford University. The National Lawyers Guild would shut me down. I couldn't speak probably at Yale where I went to law school. I don't even know if I could be invited today to go back and give a lecture at Harvard, where I taught for fifty years on wow. law, without having my speech disrupted. Wow. That's what's going on in law school. These are our future leaders. These are our this is the this is the next generation of people who will be our lawyers and our judges. And I have to tell you, these lawyers, many of them will not follow in the footsteps of John Adams. They will not take unpopular cases the way I've taken unpopular cases all my life and I've paid a price for it. Boy have I paid a price. I took a lot of unpopular cases and got criticized. Nothing like Trump. Well, Nothing like Trump. I lost more friends, lost law, more associates, more relatives uh, wouldn't talk to me just because I defended a man that they hate. That's un-American. Well, and to that point and to what you said before, being a legal realist, um, from a political standpoint, what would you recommend Republicans do? Because we've gotten to the point where this is not about anything that we've seen in the judicial system in this country before. This is political. Is it time for district attorneys to start indicting the first family for what I see as the obvious pay-for-play schemes? I hope not. I really hope that we don't see tit-for-tat. Right. I think we may. But it, it, I, I, I am an, I'm, uh, an optimist. You know, in Israel, they say a pessimist is somebody who says, oh, they, things are so bad they can't get worse. An optimist says, yes, they can. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm an optimist in the best sense of the word. I do think this case may teach Americans. I'm not talking about the extremists, the National Lawyers Guild, the crazies, or the Greens on the other side. I'm talking about people in the center, and that's what Americans are generally in the center. I think it may teach them, you know, we really have to preserve our legal system. We have to make sure that the legal system doesn't become weaponized and politicized by each party against the other. We need to go back to the days when Thurgood Marshall could represent people he despised, where Abraham Lincoln could do that, where, of course, John Adams. It's happened. We're not there. It's happened. I mean, how, how how do we bring it back? Well, you know, one of the reasons I wrote my book, Get Trump, is I give suggestions about how to return us to the days of yesteryear where we had lawyers who were prepared to stand up. You know, I used to tease uh, uh, Rudy Giuliani a lot. Uh, I would say, I knew you, dear prosecutor, if you grew up in Brooklyn and rooted for the New York Yankees instead of the Brooklyn Dodgers, you were born a prosecutor because the Yankees won every single year. All of my growing up, 47, 48, 51, finally in 55, the Dodgers won. But Rudy and I would fight. We went to a Yankee game together recently, and we both showed off our rings. I had a Boston Red Sox championship ring and he had the Yankee ring. And, you know, Rudy and I couldn't be more different uh, from a prosecution point of view. But I used to invite him to my class to lecture my students, and he would invite me down to the U.S. Attorney's Office. 
He wanted everybody to see all sides of every issue, as I did. Those days are gone forever, I think. I, I hate not. that word, forever. I know, I know. But, you know, when you're 84 years old, forever is a short time. So <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to try to spend the next five years of my life writing more books, trying to get people. You know, I think making my, my book's a bestseller on Amazon, even though you can't buy it in local bookstores. Local bookstores won't sell a book name. Amazing. Trump. But it's been a bestseller, and that sends a message to brag saying somebody's watching. There's some accountability here. History is watching. And so all I can do is write books and talk to intelligent people like you who have good talk in the morning and catch, my God, what you've done to radio. You've revolutionized it. I've been listening to ABC since I was like five years old, and what you've done to it is absolutely remarkable. Well, we're going to change you know, the office building we're in. We're going to change it yeah. to the Daily Planet building. <laughs> Uh, well, there's already, you know, the New York Daily News building. You ever passed that? Yes, uh, I've been, but now, the, now the Daily Planet building is going to move to here because that's the home of right. Clark Kent. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, for me. We hired uh, Clark Kent. I grew up on yeah. Superman. I grew up on <laughs> Superman. Uh, for years, I was wondering when our world would explode and whether my parents would send me in a rocket ship to a different planet. Yes. I actually tried, when I was about five, I actually tried to jump out the window wearing a towel as a cape, and I just scraped my knees. Fortunately, we lived on the first floor. <laughs> Alan Dershowitz, thank you for calling in. Thank you, thank you for uh, you know, uh, for everything you do. And uh, and you, to me, you are wearing the white cape. Let's let's try to make a difference in the world. Let's try to bring uh, the United States of America back to its moral standings. And Professor Dershowitz, you hit on almost every single point, but you did miss the Yankee championships in 1949 and 1950. I'm just letting you know. I don't know if you omitted that on purpose. Oh, yeah. My mother no, threw away my my baseball cards from 1951. My, mine too. But I remember being being attacked because I loved Joe DiMaggio. Even though I was a Dodger fan, right. nobody was like Joe. You know, I thought Joe DiMaggio was a wasp because he was, I mean, like the, the epitome. And somebody, you know, he's Italian. No. But, you know, Joe DiMaggio, Phil Rizzuto, uh, uh, Carl Farillo, Yogi Berra. So I have a, a, a trivial pursuit question for everybody. When's the last time two Italian-Americans were all-star catchers in a World Series against each other? Two Italian-Americans, World Series. Oh, we need Yogi Berra. for that. Yogi Berra and... Uh... It'd be Yogi and who would who would be the other one? Was it Yankees? Roy Campanella. Oh, Campanella. oh of course, of course, of course. Roy Campanella is an Italian American, right? Dark skin, an Italian American, half black, yeah. but Italian American. Those days with Yogi Berra and Roy Campanella, with Don Newcomb, who recently died. Uh, you know, I wish we could get back to that, America. I know I sound like an old. We're going to get back. Well, we're going to get back, yeah. uh, Professor. We're going to work hard, help. and we're and we're going to get help. back. And you have the voice on WABC. Good. Thank you. Thank you.